0: Hi, this is Dr. Latmansor, research lead of Health via Modern Nutrition here on HVMM podcast. Now I know we have taken quite a long hiatus, but what a better way to relaunch HVMN podcast with this episode where my co-host Jeff Wu and myself interviewed Dr. Dam D'Agostino and Dr. Angela Poff, talking about the current state of ketone research in 2022. In this episode, we covered everything around ketone research, including cardiovascular disease, cancers, psychiatry, neurodegenerative diseases, athletic performance, or even space exploration. So stay tuned. On top of that, most importantly, we also covered a question that most of you guys ask all the time. What is the best level of blood ketones to reach in order to get all the optimal benefits in performance as well as therapeutic targets is it higher the better or is there a goldilocks zone are you curious to find out well tune in and let's get right into it
1: hey everyone this is jeffrey wu on the hvmn podcast we've been on a super long hiatus so i can't think of a better opportunity to we jumpstart the podcast with my co-host Dr. Soar, and, of course, our esteemed guests, Drs. Angela Poff and Dominic D'Agostino. Um, maybe just to start off here, I feel like in this group, like there's some of the most OG scientists, academics that have really set the field for our modern understanding of metabolic health and ketosis. Um I always like to start from the beginning. Um, what was the field like? What initially drew you into this specific research area? We'll start there and then we'll just gonna fast forward dive into the okay. the cutting edge stuff. But let's set the foundation and build the context. Yeah. Hold, uh, on. hold on
0: one second. Let's
1: close the
2: to... oh. door. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. I <laughs> okay yeah uh, so going back and I was I went back in time today 2008 because occasionally I get I get emails from people that you know where i recommended the ketogenic diet for things like epilepsy Uh, one person comes to mind uh, Mike dancer so who had epilepsy and just as I was getting into ketogenic diets for oxygen toxicity seizures I was connected with different people who were benefiting from ketogenic diets and even ketones. So uh, Mike Dancer, so Google Mike Dancer, Epilepsy, and you'll have you'll find an interesting story, and also Dr. Mary Newport, whose husband was helped tremendously by uh, ketones and kept him active for a number of years uh, with advanced Alzheimer's disease. So these things caught my attention in 2008 and 2009, and then the observation that ketones decrease proliferation of cancer cells in culture. And then Angela joined the lab in 2010, right? A first year PhD student, and she was very highly motivated to Mm -hmm. study the use of the ketogenic diet and hyperbaric oxygen, because we also observed high pressure oxygen killed cancer cells and caused oxidative stress. And that became her PhD project. So there's a synergy of things going on between 2008 and 2010 but the big thing that actually made this research possible in our lab was the Department of Defense created technologies that allowed us to build hyperbaric equipment and also the Office of Navy Research which They invest in uh, high-risk projects, and this was sort of like a high-risk project, so uh, basically using uh, synthetic ketones, ketone esters, Uh, in this project as a mitigation strategy for oxygen toxicity seizures. And I had a little departmental funds and that kicked off Angela's uh, PhD project. Mm -hmm. And that was 2010, about two years, and then 2010 we started trickling, getting in some funding. Then there was funding in 2009 or 10 from the Alzheimer's Association on a, a mouse study. And I guess the rest is history and then things started happening very fast and Shannon Kessel came in uh, and then she was studying ketones and wound healing Which ended up being an awesome project. Uh, Shannon, we have to get that paper published, but she's got a great dissertation She's working on it,
3: i it Oh, okay, <laughs>
2: okay, but some of our best data, I mean Shannon generated that and uh, I've just been super grateful and fortunate to have amazing students come in. Not only, they're personally motivated uh, that drives them, and they do great science. And we just, you know, we work hard to advance the science into human application. And then years after that, we had Metabolic Therapeutics conference, which was yeah. really about outreach about what we're doing. And, uh, well, I am just told you the first two years, uh, <laughs> but and there's many things that I'm, I'm missing there, but that's kind of like the gist of it. And then I became very interested in actually doing the diet myself. Mm. Uh, fasting for a number of days, looking at my strength levels, measuring my ketones, you know, at this time I was talking with Dr. Veach, uh, Dr. Van Italy, Dr. Sammy Hashem, Dr. George Cahill, before he passed away in 2012. I talked to all of the real icons, all the real Keto Kings in the space, you know, with Dr. Beach and Cahill and Dr. Ha- Sammy Hashim and uh, Theodore Van Italy. I mean, these are the people that really inspired me. Uh, Mark Matson Mark at the NIH. Uh, the science was really good and I was like, why are people not studying this? And I was early in my career transitioning into a tenure track position. Uh, I was kind of told that this would be uh, academic suicide to transition (laughs) from studying small molecule antioxidant compounds and drugs essentially to a high fat diet and then these synthetic ketone molecules and ketones were bad but there was a body of literature that convinced me that ketones were... Neuroprotective, anti seizure properties, and they had remarkable effects on human metabolism and brain energy metabolism. And uh, I'm so glad I went down that path and recruited smart people under me to do the research. And like, did you know
1: how much it was a quite career suicide before joining? <laughs> down. You know, I think I was,
2: I was like mostly kind of like, ignorant. This <laughs> is going to be hard. You know, I like I don't yeah. have time to, to study what you want to study. It was like we got to I mean, we can try it, but mm-hmm. I wasn't. I didn't have. I was confident that what we were studying was going to have an effect and yeah. it was important. And I think if the science, the scientific rationale was good, and uh, well. I was internally motivated to do Yeah, it.
3: yeah. yeah and I, I remember so when you start your know, PhD program a lot of times you go and you listen to you know kind of pitches from the different PIs about what they're doing in their lab and there's obviously a lot of really cool research going on but I remember listening to Dom um, at that time and, and hearing you talk about you know the CNS oxygen toxicity stuff and everything and then and then at the end, you set, you had like one final slide. And like, oh, at the pitch. Yeah, the pitch, during yeah. the
2: pitch, yeah. And like, I I pitched I pitch <laughs> my, my lab to all the incoming PhD students. students. Yeah, yeah, so if you wanted and to you reached out quick. You and yeah. Sean, and I both got emails at the yeah. same time. I'm like, oh, OK, I want to join your lab. Yeah, yeah
3: but I just so. remember like that of that whole day of when you start, when you talked on that slide about this idea of ketogenic diet, which i would never heard of anything like it before, mm-hmm. right, like at that point. Um, as a potential therapy for cancer i mean it just really like struck me in a way that the other research while it was exciting of course and it's you know what it was it it was just so fascinating from from the very get-go and exciting from the idea of like a, a project that felt very novel and just out of the box and i think was spoke to that part of me as a little girl that always wanted to be a scientist to do something novel and cool and just you know thinking outside the box to make something happen that was truly changing and and to be able to kind of go over the next you know i guess it's been like 12 years since then which is kind yeah, of but um you know to see how this all has changed since then going from this field that was quite obscure and niche and and not something that most people really had kind of heard about to, you know, fast forwarding and, and now it's it's really a, a part of a major conversation between people and their daily lives, but also wide spectrum of healthcare related you know, conditions, and it's just, it's been really fascinating to see that journey. Do you the project? So the project was essentially- <laughs> we went through a lot of rounds A of ketogenic <laughs>
2: diet and hyperbaric oxygen yeah. with a chlorotoxin conjugated radioactive nanoparticle. Yeah. So you take chlorotoxin and you conjugate a radioactive nanoparticle that would decay in a predetermined time set, and then you take that molecule, it goes to the the glioblastoma, Applies a pulse of radiation during a time where you put that individual inside a hyperbaric chamber so you have directed hyperbaric oxygen and the efficacy of of hyperbaric The efficacy of radiation therapy is proportional to the PO2 of the tumor so you Site-specifically apply a small dose of radiation during hyperbaric Mm -hmm. oxygen in a context of therapeutic ketosis where you drop blood glucose you drop insulin and elevate ketones and then that becomes a fairly non toxic synergistic mm. strategy. It I was, mean, so I was cool. convinced and I don't want to revisit that, but <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we that this was, that's was kind of like no, this wasn't an animal model, okay. but, yeah. but then we got
3: sidetracked. by I had the all these ideas, and that was one of them. And <laughs> it I, just, was. I was like,
2: What <laughs> should I say at this thing? and I was like, Let me pitch this. It was fresh in my mind. Yeah. I was reading a stack of papers, and I was like, yeah. I know this would work, like, if it's yeah. done, I know it works. So, I think I I tend to I can talk about things and sometimes oversell it and over pitch it. I was worried, maybe I'm over pitching this concept, but in That's my mind incredible. it made a lot of sense. Yeah. As did the ketogenic diet, as yeah. did exogenous ketones. So um, so I don't know. I'm glad I have a lot of ideas, and it's just like I feel okay. like uh, I'm always like jumping out of my skin about all these ideas. I just don't have the time yeah. to do it. But, but you but, tell about it. Like Angela that. took an idea and then applied it, and then did the work. We got an animal model that was yeah. very good animal model from Dr. Thomas Safri, and then mm-hmm. and then let her run with it. I said, "Here, you give it, and you mm-hmm. you do the work." Yeah. And she did the work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Made it happen. Yeah, I mean the tools come, and then I think from then, if it's your, you know, circuit two thousand eight, two thousand ten, mm-hmm. the last twelve, fourteen, fifteen years, I think has been one of the. What were you doing at that time, two thousand eight? Two thousand eight, I was. Did you know about ketones? I did not know about <laughs> ketones. <laughs> I was studying computer science. I was likely a sophomore, junior, studying probably like looking at algorithms, algorithms, and machine learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I remember the first time Googling ketosis was probably 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. and the first result for ketosis was keto- ketoacidosis, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. just even from 2014, 15, when I got first interested in human metabolism, mm-hmm. going from this as being a, uh, a disease state or a very extreme atypical state for type one diabetics, mm-hmm. uh, where ketones are uh, generated uncontrollably to now like a, a whole field of study I mean, when I think about like why this has exploded as a field of study, I think one attribute is that while the pharmacology, just like how potent ketones are as a natural molecule, to their regulatory status mm-hmm. as being basically considered foods or supplements, is a one super powerful mm-hmm. like attribute that unlocks so much innovation, right? So I think in like, I would say like the most cutting edge of human performance. A lot of discussion, a lot of experimental, starting to get into the clinic, but still very hard to get scheduled drugs, whether it's CBD, cannabis, mm-hmm. and now psilocybin, other psychedelics. Um, I think we're gonna go down that route, and I think there's interesting learnings from like the metabolic health space. Mm-hmm. But I think that the fact that you have Something very potent but very accessible, either through diet or through synthetic ketones, Mm -hmm. is a huge innovation unlock. And then, two, and I think a lot of credit to what you guys have built with the Metabolic Health Summit and just like programs like ours. And and I know just I remember watching uh, Joe Rogan and like some of these big podcasts, just really educating Mm -hmm. like the science, but also kind of living it. So, I think one thing that I think is not very accessible to everyday consumers is that scientists a lot of times don't actually live the lifestyle of what they're studying yeah and that's that's likely okay right because like you can be academic about something but 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 to me life and like just real influence or real credibility is not just like your academic book smart. It's the actual application and walking the walk part of the space. And I think with metabolic health, mm-hmm. using ketogenic diet, experimenting with different types and variants and prototyping a bunch of keto mm-hmm. foods and supplements. Mm-hmm. Like I think like folks like us we can actually like walk the walk and actually perform and throw up numbers and show these yeah. blood markers. So I think mm-hmm. to me, there's not a lot of science and academic fields that cover those two attributes, where you can be mm-hmm. have a have an intervention that's super powerful, yeah. but it's not like, hey, we're talking about BMT you or can LSD. Do it. you can actually you can do it. that. Well, you can do you can that
2: too. Visualize it. Yeah, uh, you, can, you can do it. We might yeah. go to jail, right? If you're like, you know. <laughs> right.
1: Um. It, it makes
2: it very tangible, and it makes it, uh, and because you can implement it yourself, it makes it very exciting and, and it drives our, our experiments in the lab. I remember people throwing up, remember the early ketone salts where rocky was throwing? So, okay, I shouldn't talk too much about that, but, so, yeah, we were creating molecules and we were testing them, and it was like, wow, and then the early ketone meters, which were like yeah. 10 bucks a pop, uh, and seeing things go up. So. Yeah, I really, and then when I tried the diet myself, I was like, oh, I do feel different. You know, yeah. and I feel that this is, uh, and that's what's so exciting is that ketones can rapidly change brain energy metabolism and the neuropharmacology of your brain in a mm-hmm. way that's neuroprotective and anti-seizure. So that really caught my attention. The science supporting that was indisputable. Mm -hmm. So then it became, well, how do you develop, well, what's the optimal diet, what's the optimal, you know, ketone formulation, you know, we're talking about the ketogenic diet, the only valid therapy was actually for pediatric epilepsy at the time, or neurometabolic disorders, that would be pyruvate dehydrogenase deficiency syndrome, glucose transporter type one, so all these things have very long names, Uh, and they, they are actually standard to care for that uh but now we're talking about metabolic psychiatry right so i was just you know communicating with dr chris palmer this morning and uh and he's treating patients that have bipolar and schizophrenia and having remarkable success and giving podcasts uh, I've heard, i think he's got he's excited to be on uh, uh andrew huberman's podcast coming up soon so getting that information out is is very important like we can do the science all day long and publish papers but if people don't know about it, like I didn't know of Dr. Beach's. Dr. Beach should have done Joe Rogan. I wish he was still alive. <laughs> so I would have done everything possible to get Dr. Beach on Joe Rogan. You know, uh, but I think you know you can publish in high impact peer reviewed journals, but the lay public really don't. They don't read these journals. Yeah. So, um, so by doing the research, being excited about it, being able to work on something that's tangible and readily implementable. And then having a platform like Metabolic Health Summit to bring mm-hmm. people together who are doing research on this to talk about it, that that has been it's just so exciting. Yeah. It has made science very exciting. Yeah. So the outreach aspect of it.
3: Yeah, right. and like prioritizing that communication to the public. I think scientists are historically very bad at communicating <laughs> to yeah. the public, and it's caused a lot of probably unnecessary, you know, difficulty in, in many points in history. And, yeah just being able to try to effectively communicate a message you know preventing overhype underhype whatever it is getting a message across that's clear and evidence based and 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 that's why i think you know we're very passionate about the education piece of this and and that has driven the field forward by giving information to people in a responsible way and we're very protective of the message i know i'm, I'm there's a lot of information out there and i was. You know want to make sure that everything that we all the education that we provide through medical health summit or you know stuff that we do with our lab is just very clear and and direct and really like honors the science and the legitimacy of the science because with this field you don't have to like you know exaggerate honestly it's 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 really the, the the amount of research that's out there is so impressive that we just have to effectively communicated and the people want to know because it is to your point you know ketones are basically a food with drug-like properties there are none no pharmaceuticals that have the same type of multimodal kind of pluripotent response within the cell different tissues systemically you know with the ability to impact physiology from the brain to all of uh, systems biology. And so people are fascinated by this and it's something that is accessible and can excite people. And I think that's why this field has really exploded um, because it's put health back into people's hands. And I think that it was taken away for a long time. It felt very, like you couldn't touch it.
1: You know? Yeah, let's okay. definitely dive into those sectors. But before that, I wanna to just touch on just the evolution of science as so I think, mm-hmm. and I, I, from my opinion, I think the mm-hmm. fact that every person can research PubMed and get the same access to academic literature for maybe 20, 30 years ago, you had to be at an academic institution to even understand what was being published. Mm-hmm. I think that there's more open sourcing of data. Yeah. I think they're just like really smartly people that are as technical, if not just even crazier in terms of data analysis mm-hmm. than like professional researchers. But that to me is like really the, true rough and tumble of science, which is not about the fal- or the infallibility of authority, but just like, what is the data? Can we debate um, and learn from like good argumentation and good evidence? Um, do you sense that like, the way academia is being done is changing? I mean, you guys are within academia, but I would say on the more arguably You know, thoughtful on the science communication side, where I think a lot of you know our our collaborators, partners, probably don't know how to even like have a normal conversation on a on a a podcast for more than ten minutes, right? Like they're just like uh, like they get scared, or they're just like they don't want to say the wrong thing. I mean, do you think that's like a good thing? I mean, I think for me, it's like if our if people are funding the science through our government agency bodies, like we as researchers should have an obligation to make it translatable um yeah that's a really good point it got
2: me thinking and I think maybe when you join the lab uh, so the National Institutes of Health NIH tends to fund very mechanistic bottoms-up research so they have a mechanism and then they sort of study that and then work your way to a clinical trial of some drug that you put in humans So we kind of approach it from a top-down perspective. Like we knew something worked. (laughs) You know, the ketogenic diet worked. So let's mechanistically figure out ways to then, novel innovative ways to induce ketosis and then mechanistically uh, deconstruct and identify the the various mechanisms. And then we can sort of reverse engineer or uh, fully understand how we can better augment uh, nutritional ketosis in a way That can enhance the the applicability of of this of this you know uh, physiological state neurological state. So we actually went into it understanding that this works almost, and let's uh, not only understand the anti-seizure effects of it, but also let's apply this it's having anti-seizure neuroprotective effects because it's changing brain energy metabolism and changing neuropharmacology, we knew that. We did not know about the anti-inflammatory effects, Mm -hmm. we did not know about the epigenetic signaling associated with that, but we just knew brain energy metabolism and then its gap was going up, relative Mm -hmm. to glutamate, we had some idea. But, you know, we understood that if it was doing this, well, why can't we apply it to other Uh, neurodegenerative diseases, neurological diseases and Mm -hmm. then you know our cell experiments were showing effects on cancer too so and that led to Angela's project so we became very interested in applying metabolic therapies and it doesn't just have to be about ketosis I mean we've had one of my students Nate Ward did a project on metformin and dichloroacetate. And then you know we look at various, we look at other a wide range of metabolic, you know, altering metabolism. It's mm-hmm. about altering metabolism. And you can do that with a diet, you can do it with synthetic ketogenic agents, you can do it with natural ketogenic agents like MCTs or ketone salts, and you can do it with a big toolbox of metabolic drugs from mm-hmm. PI3 kinase inhibitors. Lonidomide, 2 d 3-Bromopyruvate. I mean, there's other... The toolbox is big and expanding. And that becomes very exciting from a, a research point of view, but also from the point of view of a conference on this, too, because pharmaceutical companies should, are very interested in this. They should have emerging interest in this there was no interest in cancer metabolism, really. There's like no mention of the Warburg effect, you know, yeah, yeah. even in the hallmarks of cancer, but now yeah. there is. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I think a lot have things have changed and you talked about PubMed, mm-hmm. very little on PubMed, just do a PubMed search for ketogenic diet and look at the years, it's exploding. Yeah. Clinicaltrials.gov. 296 clinical trials if you type in ketogenic diet and look when Angela joined I think it was like four maybe yeah. three or four uh, so yeah there's an explosion of research that's not only already out there on PubMed but what's really probably most exciting it's being done now on registered you know it's registered as clinical trials on clinical trials and it's everything stuff that you wouldn't even think about I mean there's bipolar there's schizophrenia there's Uh, alcohol use disorder, there's a bunch of exercise studies, there's uh, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, uh, a lot of cancer studies, maybe about 40 cancer studies, 50 Mm -hmm. cancer studies. So this is very exciting that the research is being done now Mm -hmm. and uh, and it's only going to add more you know, validity to this. So it's going to show what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And that's really, and that's, you know, as we identify what does work, we can further tweak that to apply it to a disease pathology or performance. Yeah. And I think, I think metabolism
0: has evolved so much from us understanding metabolites just as substrates, just as substance that give us energy to now, I was just talking to my PhD supervisor back at Oxford, that we were talking about metabolites as signaling Mm molecules. You know, like like you said, you know, it's a macronutrient that has drug-like properties because it is signaling other parts of metabolism and other pathways that regulate our metabolism and hence also um realizing the effect downstream which could be beneficial for diseases for you know dysfunctions and how we live you know healthily and age healthily and you know to your point as well it's so true that so many scientists there's so much disconnect between what we know mm-hmm. and what the public knows and that's exactly why i study science i want it to be the bridge between the knowledge the information and the public and how we can apply it, you know, like Jeff said, how, how can we apply it to make sure that people are using that current knowledge and not the outdated knowledge to improve their lives and, and thankfully we have all these platforms now, podcasts and, and so many of us scientists now are able to lend our voices to these platforms to make sure that people are educated and know more about you know, what we know about ketones, what we know about glucose, what we know about insulin, how do they you know, work with each other, and it's not always a switch on or off um, sort of situation, it's more about turning up or turning down, dialing up, dialing down, depending on the stimulus, depending on the environment. Mm-hmm. It's a you know, homeostasis, it's a check and balance, system where we can manipulate to
1: get the most optimal results let's talk about the state of the art so i think when we had our first tape conversations i think it was a like 2016 uh 2016 yeah. 2017 so it in san francisco, in san francisco yeah, yeah, yeah. when we we're still got an office in sf so yep. five six years um i would say that a lot of the literature and the folks at the time is around athletic performance, ergogenic, acute yep. dosing before, endurance exercise. Yep. I think we've learned a lot about that specific use case. I think we could probably have an interesting conversation, mm-hmm. what we think panned out, what we think was overrated, what we think yep. is underrated, and potentially deserves more research, mm-hmm. particularly on the recovery side. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think there's also, I think just opening up like the pluripotent, like mm-hmm. word is a great word. Okay. I mean, we should also talk about, and I think this, there, make sense. I think I, I think we have an increasing interest in the psychiatry, neurodegenerative TBI side of the world as well. But I think we should probably start from a athletic, ergogenic, um, as well as post-exercise recovery perspective. Um, I think that's what do we 40, think? Yeah. like what is, you know, your perspective uh 2022?
2: Because you know, the athletic angle of ketogenic diets and exogenous ketones were kind of like the hook that got me into this because uh, I started studying this and a few years later I discovered Jeff Boleg and Stephen Finney's work in the art and science of low carbohydrate living and then I bought then published the art and science of low carbohydrate performance with ketogenic diets but then as I got into exogenous ketones I was searching around and saw that DARCA was funding, you know, Warfighter Performance Program with ketones. So I became even more motivated to apply a ketogenic strategy to what I was funded to study, which was central nervous system oxygen toxicity seizures. And I was like, okay, they're studying ketones for exercise performance. The ketogenic diet's already the standard of care for drug-resistant epilepsy. And then that led to the Office of Navy Research Funding. And we started studying that. But the performance and the observation that the military, specifically DARPA, was funding some of the projects with NIH and Oxford on uh, our warfighter performance, that was actually something that nudged, I felt, our program manager to say, okay, we can go down this path because not only do you seem to identify something that had anti-seizure potential, but." It's not something that's going to impair exercise performance, you know, because there's a (laughs) whole project, a well-funded project on exercise performance. So when it comes to exercise performance, I have always thought, I was pretty enthusiastic in the beginning, and I'm still enthusiastic that there's p- p- potential there, but the way the studies are designed, it's like uh, you have athletes and you acutely dose them and then you push them and then you feel and then the, the effect is small, but I think it's, it's significantly consistent, although small like the change is small but you have to realize that you know you're that's in the context of acute administration prior to and then some of it's mixed results some of it's not, I mean but formulation matters the the context matters extremely but where I think where I think we just have to take a step back and look to say that the greatest effect of ketones will be as a performance aid over time where you're consuming the molecules over the period of weeks to months to maybe even years where they're benefiting recovery, or are getting epigenetic effects, anti-inflammatory effects, where I feel personally, and people that, many dozens if not hundreds of people that I'm in uh, correspondence with, are basically using them as performance age to increase the adaptation to the training stimulus. Mm -hmm. So you go and train and your body breaks down and needs to repair, you need to have, uh, if you optimize your metabolism, your mitochondria and various metabolic markers, your adaptation to that exercise stimulus will be augmented. And I feel that that's where, that's one area where ketones could be beneficial as things like creatine monohydrate of course like you know beta alanine caffeine pre-workout things like that so there are various other things that can help too and protein of course uh but another performance aspect of ketones is in the context of extreme environments which we have a lot of of you know work in that is that a hyperbaric environment high pressure oxygen you know not a whole lot of people do this but advanced diving military operations uh altitude that could be riding your bike on top of a mountain doing or aviation performance optimizing the aviators uh, and also astronauts which is a very high interest of mine is actually the safety and the performance resilience uh, of astronauts for long-term t- duration space play because they get a their mitochondria get a big hit in space and it's going to be very important to protect the mitochondria and optimize metabolic health in space.
1: Yeah, I think that's nicely summarized. And I think a lot of the hypo, uh, uh, like the high altitude stuff that Lab like, presented at the MHS, I think mm-hmm. speaks to that in terms of especially on reducing reaction time, increasing yeah. recall, increasing accuracy. So hopefully we publish that in, in a formal yeah. setting soon to yeah. Yeah. help add to that literature. Um, but like, and people may
2: say, "Well, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm at one atmosphere of oxygen. So, so it's great. Like ketones had this effect, you know. And these, like, if for for using a rebreather, if you're you know in space, uh, I'm not going to be an astronaut. Or mm-hmm. some people may say that. Uh, but I think that. The, the rationale is there that these things are improving, brain energy metabolism, signaling, and producing resilience. And that's what I think we study resilience, like performance resilience, being able to maintain a certain level of cognitive and physical performance in the context of an extreme environment. And you could argue that a lot of people are in an extreme environment, right? their their systems are exposed to things that are rather extreme and that could be an infection it could be I don't know if I could say that but like you know various uh, disease pathologies environmental toxins uh, you know we're subjected to many things that have extreme effects on our body so uh, if you if you have something that can preserve and optimize mitochondrial function as ketones do then that's that needs to be studied. So we were talking before getting on here of all these things that need to be studied. And I think that these things need to be studied.
1: Let's dive into mechanistically. So I think one of the arguments for why ketones, I think this is a mix of metabolism and metabolic biochemistry than like bro science. Is that like ketones like burn more efficiently or like super fuel? The way I, I interpret it from a metabolic biochemistry side is that when you're, uh, when, when the mitochondria is burning ketones, you expand, uh, the Delta, the, the free, Gibbs free energy between the electron, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, the the, the electron transport chain Mm vitamins, So you have a little bit more efficiency in terms of generating ATP and less electron leakage. Um, less, uh,
2: and we observed this in the lab early on, you have less electrons jumping off to oxygen to make a superoxide and so superoxide being the precursor oxygen free radical that's generated and in the context of purely glucose metabolism the generation of superoxide anion is higher uh, relative to beta-hydroxybutyrate so uh, when viewed from that context, very mechanistically, and these were some of the convincing arguments that Dr. Beach had, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and I think that that does pan out, Not it doesn't always pan out in every model system, mm-hmm. but the but scientific the rationale is there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, tissue-dependent heart uh, being a very, heart and the brain being the two, organs with the highest metabolic capacity, you know, metabolic demands, liver being pretty high too, mm-hmm. but that not being a, a big robust user of ketones, but yeah. the heart and the brain, uh, I'm convinced mm-hmm. that ketone metabolism is superior, uh, but it's not one or the other, right? So. Yeah, that's the same question I'm up, which is that like,
1: I think the, the bro sciency part is that like people talk about like, sugar burning and then fat burning or ketone yeah. burning as if it was binary. Yeah. If you actually look at the substrate mix, right, yeah. even if you're at five, you know, extremely high levels of ketosis, you're maybe at max fifteen percent burning ketones. The rest is fat, primarily fat, yeah. or you know, if you're doing a little bit of anaerobic, a little bit of glucose. Yeah. So I think that's like one I would say misunderstanding of the broad space where you're always burning a mix. Yeah. You have to think of
2: flux, like metabolic flux, changes considerably in the context of fasting, ketogenic diets, or even acutely uh, consuming a ketone ester or a ketone 1,3-butanediol, or I'm taking a ketone salt right now. (laughs) So this is when consumed in an amount that has, elevates to a millimolar concentration. Uh, I think the estimates were like one millimolar can give your brain metabolism an extra 10% boost in available energy so and that's going to change not only brain energy but also uh, the energetic pathways the TCA cycle actually generates not only the reduced intermediates for the electron transport chain but also the TCA cycle intermediates are like alpha-ketoglutarate and succinate, malate, fumarate all these things they are the precursors to uh, to the neurotransmitters Mm -hmm. right so Uh, glutamate GABA uh, are these things that are really important Uh, glutamate is the by far the most important ubiquitous neurotransmitter system in the body so without it we rapidly die and that's probably why we don't have a lot of drugs that actually Uh, modulate glutamate that block glutamate because you die right so serotonergic systems dopaminergic systems adenosinergic systems are also altered with the ketogenic diet Uh, and we have there's a lot more work that needs to be done on there but but we do know that the neurotransmitter GABA which sort of a yin and yang glutamate's being excitatory GABA is more brain stabilizing inhibitory uh, or brain stabilizing so there's more glutamate to GABA conversion that has been shown with the diet, and there's some evidence in, in certain animal models that happens with uh, with exogenous ketones too. And that may then support the concept of using not only nutritional ketosis, but supplemental ketosis for the field of metabolic psychiatry. So that's, that's I do not think that ketone supplementation, exogenous ketones, are necessarily a replacement for a ketogenic diet in that context, in the context of seizures, metabolic psychiatry. But I do think they're a very powerful means to further augment the ketogenic diet at this point in time. We need to do research to show Uh, the benefits of each and then the additive benefits we always talk there's people that who study diet will say you can't replicate it with the exogenous ketones don't think about that it's a bad decision and then you know people talking about either size. but i think we need to come together and talk about there's many different types of ketogenic diets there are many different types of exogenous ketones and they have different applications and then we will personally respond differently to them mm-hmm. so there are available tools continuous glucose monitors uh epigenetic markers there are a variety of different tools that are available that we need to use to optimize and personalize our approach to not only the ketogenic diet, but all all diets.
1: Yeah, I know that. I I think we all know friends or businesses working in continuous ketone monitors yes. and a continuous all sorts of analyte monitors. Letters so. help.
2: I got to plug them. So I'm wearing a Dexcom G6. <laughs> I wore the Libre, and I found these devices and the software, especially, to be incredibly uh, insightful in understanding my metabolism my wife Jill, is a sugar burner and if we eat the same meals we have different responses and we otherwise wouldn't know that if we didn't you know if I didn't wear a continuous glucose monitor and I think people wearing these devices can eat the same meal together and have different responses so uh, so I think that's going to be part of the future of metabolic health and that companies who have technologies out there whether it be a continuous Uh, monitoring system for glucose hopefully ketones and lactate and things like that but also software that takes that data and integrates it and actually gives you actionable information about what to do about what to eat and how to how sleep integrates with your metabolism too yeah and I I was about to point
0: out what um, Dom said about the heart and the brain especially on ketone metabolism because we know now from studies that in the heart and the brain, the uptake and utilization of ketones are not gated, well, we know that they're not gated by insulin, but they're also not gated by the availability um, of the other substrates. So for example, if you keep providing your heart and your brain with ketones, the uptake is proportionate to the availability. Whereas the other substrates, we can see a plateau that is correlated to the availability of the transporters. So even though we know that MCT monocarboxylate transporter is responsible for taking in ketones, but for some reason it can take in a lot of ketones as long as ketones are, are available. And what they have seen in heart specifically is that um, the increasing uptake and metabolism of ketone is also independent of other substrates which means that with the availability of ketone, you are essentially adding a whole new group of substrate that is available and readily convertible into ATP. Mm-hmm. So imagine that for your you know, for performance, for brain activity, brain activity and, and energy demand. Yeah, yes. and that's also the, in the brain, the brain yeah. of
3: course. Yeah, and Dr. Stephen Keenan has done some really yes. incredible work mm-hmm. showing that you know, as we age, our brains naturally decline in the uptake of glucose as we age, and the older you get, and as someone develops, you know, early um, cognitive decline that might develop into dementia that is exacerbated, but ketone metabolism, ketone uptake, is retained, mm-hmm. normal, even yeah. in the aging brain, even in the, um, you know, as uh, someone with uh, cognitive decline, yeah. cognitive impairment, and and it's, fascinating because something like we know that, you know, energy uptake and for example something like a dementia is, is is well characterized but in most neurological conditions, even in things you wouldn't necessarily think about like a traumatic brain injury in, in injury, There is a glucose Hypometabolism that occurs following the energy. So this characteristic glucose deficit in the brain Across neurological conditions things that are not quite even obvious seizures as Mm -hmm. well have periods of glucose hypometabolism Traumatic brain injury stroke uh, a lot of neurodegenerative diseases. They all have this energy deficit And so, you know, you're mentioning maybe it's ten percent increase in energy But that is actually pretty important especially if you're talking about the brain which is the most energetically demanding organ and really requires that high high energy uptake to maintain neurotransmission we wrote a review article on this yep. a couple came out a couple months ago it was a really fun article to write it was titled something about ketones meeting the needs of a brain in an energy crisis yep. and it was really fun to dig into that literature because it is a very consistent theme in these pathological conditions but even just someone aging and this begins in you know early middle age it's not it's not just when we're elderly, it yeah. starts now at my
2: I age. encourage people to go check out that article, and mm-hmm. I don't want to get too sciencey, but mm-hmm. what Angela covered was as we age, so age-related dementia, neurodegenerative diseases, and uh, traumatic brain injury, which is kind of like Alzheimer's disease in real time, so you have impaired brain energy metabolism because there's a vascular component, so that's something you can discuss too, uh, but also the impaired glucose metabolism is due primarily to uh, an internalization of the glucose transporter in the brain—that would be the GLUT4 or the GLUT3 transporter in the brain—and also pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, right? So these are two things that have been pathophysiologically linked to Alzheimer's disease and dementia, and also traumatic brain injury. So the pyruvate dehydrogenase and also the GLUT3 transporter, and also those vascular components too. So glucose metabolism goes down. So ketones can circumvent. The, the glucose transporter, so they use the MCT transporter, and they all can also circumvent a deficiency in the amount and the activity of pyruvate dehydrogenase. So even like for they kids that have that enzyme, enzyme, the standard of care is to use this. So as we age, that precipitously goes down, mm-hmm. and that's uh, and then ketones can bypass that. So that's sort of you know part of the equation there that we know there's good science to support that. And also ketones create STOCOA, which further activate P.E.K.
0: which inhibits hydrogenase. Uh, so that all makes sense. So Jeff and I, we actually just recently published a review paper on TBI using ketones and lactate as potential intervention. Don't you know what about reviewers? That's about (laughs) to say, I think minds think alike. I think
1: there's like a unification, or not. and I think I, I think one of the yeah. goals of that paper trying like unify. I think to your point, Alzheimer's yeah. and traumatic brain injury, which is very very acute, There is some like metabolic underlying framework dysfunction yeah. from from that level, and then potentially from an intervention side, ketones have a very similar parallel with lactate in, in which they mm-hmm. don't need like yeah. the glucose transporter yeah. to fuel yeah. and empower uh, the, the Krebs cycle. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because I think, like, obviously, I think that, and maybe this goes back to, like, just the, the loop around, like, I think a lot of the interest was in the physical performance side, yeah. and now I would say that the field is very much move-focused, like, I don't think there's, I mean, expanded maybe is a better way to say it, to co- cognition. Um, I, I would feel remiss before moving fully to cognition, not to be quantitative around, exact normal ranges, because so I know that a lot of our audience members are going to be the folks that have levels I was a seed investor, so like I'm mm-hmm. a huge fan of Sam and the team. they yep. just super big, amazing execution of, of, I think they are now... They got me hooked on CGMs, yeah. The <laughs> team,
2: uh, Josh Clemente and yeah. Casey Needs, and, and the whole team actually is just amazing, and, and I had different options to go with different CGM companies, but... Uh, I was very inspired by the team at Levels and uh, the underlying desire just to get this information or this this technology in the hands of the everyday public and and being able to see the app evolve over time uh, they are very receptive to feedback and um, yeah it's just an amazing product And and I'm also excited about the new technologies of these bio wearables Uh, multi-analyte sensing, that being the future, and applying this to some of the research projects that I'm involved in now. I'm very excited about that. Yeah,
1: 100%. I mean, I think it's going to be obvious at some point there will be a continuous ketone monitor. So, like, right now we're all just just finger-sticking ourselves. and lactate
2: too i think you know continuous lactate monitoring with glucose and ketones super important not only for the biohacker but also for uh, cancer research and patients uh, tumor burden is associated with elevated lactate it could mm-hmm. be a biomarker for that and just so many applications for this technology
1: yeah let, let's talk about the ranges because i think be, between different types of ketone nutritional compositions with it's diet, salts, esters, butane dial, other molecules. Um, I think the way that just kinda like conform it in, in a way is just talk about like what ketone blood BHD range are we trying to actually hit. And I think there's more and more, at least on the anecdotal side, and I think the like the like the practitioner side that just as you can have too little ketones, you can have too much ketones and that can absolutely backfire. yeah. Um, I feel like the space like I feel like folks like us haven't talked too much about like the like the downside of the high side just because like I think we're so much <laughs> just educating that hey ketones can be useful that yeah. we didn't talk about like hey maybe like too much of a good thing is not that great just like with almost everything. Okay. Like the glucose has its use cases, especially for performance, but yeah. you want to be eating three hundred grams of <laughs> sugar like yeah every two hours, probably not regardless. Yeah. Um so with that context, um, we'll love to get your thoughts on your maybe the boundaries, the guidelines, the guide rails. Maybe get the specific ranges that you're trying to target. Whether it's two to three millimole, five millimole, eight millimole, one millimole. Um, I've been I've been everywhere. I've been to where the meter just doesn't read, just
2: flashes high. You know, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think, I think it's really important to say that higher is not better. I mean, we, we had a discussion prior to jumping on here that we've, uh, you know, put a lot of animals into <laughs> ketoacidosis uh, experimentally. And, and so with exogenous ketones in particular, ketone esters are very powerful and I think they have the potential to do harm by causing rapid ketoacidosis uh lowering ph uh it's all in a dose so uh from my personal from stuff that we've done in the lab we know that the anti-seizure effects are very pronounced when you get to like two three and four Mm -hmm. millimolar uh so that that's actually clinically that that's great when i do that on a daily basis i don't feel too good uh because i think you are if you acutely elevate ketones in that context then it becomes disruptive to metabolic physiology and it will increase your insulin and start kicking in some counter regulatory mechanisms whereas if you increase ketones to two uh don't go over two though because i find that insulin starts to get released but For me, just getting to one millimolar, to 1.5, is a nice, safe range, and I feel very comfortable in that context. I can achieve that with a ketone salt, with 1,3-butanediol, with a low dose of a ketone ester. All these things will get you there. The commercially available, it's relatively inexpensive now uh, to do that and to use that amount of exogenous ketones. And I think there's real-world benefits to that. Uh, you can simply just look at your biomarkers. You could wear a continuous glucose monitor, you could eat carbohydrates, and then take it with uh, ketones and actually see that your glycemic uh, variability, your postprandial glycemic excursion, if you wanna get sciency, <laughs> will be less if you consume your carbohydrates with uh, some exogenous ketones. And that could be a salt, that could even be MCT, it could be an ester, it could be one through butanedial so uh, it's great there's a lot of different products out there that you can experiment with Um, so there's that and and I think these things can be used to further augment the ketogenic diet right so the ketogenic diet a big problem with the ketogenic diet that I experience if you want to call it a problem, it's a little bit controversial, it is a, a very high elevation of LDL, and L, uh, LP little a, and ApoB two. I mean, I've had these things elevated to where I adjusted the ketogenic diet, started adding more, uh, some fruit and some vegetables, and some essentially car- fibrous carbohydrates, and found that I could bring the LDL down, the ApoB down, the LP little a down, just by adding 50 to 100 grams, 100 grams or more active days of fibrous carbohydrates normalizes my blood lipids. And then, but it it does push me out of ketosis to some extent, but then a Mediterranean a low-carb Mediterranean diet with exogenous ketones, we were talking before jumping on here, I feel is optimal for me. And I feel that if people are talking about the optimal diet, everybody's gonna be different, Mm -hmm. but I think, completely excluding carbohydrates, fruit, and vegetables to the, to the extent that you do that with a clinical-based ketogenic diet is not optimal. So I think a more diversified diet with, uh, with plants and vegetables and fruits and, and a diversity of different protein sources with exogenous ketones is probably, would be optimal. Now, as a scientist though, don't I have to ask,
0: why do you think that anything above two millimolar may spike insulin what do you think is the mechanism around that yeah
2: so i think mechanistically when we're on a ketogenic diet and we are producing ketones our ketones are regulated in a number of different ways one is ketonuria we are literally excreting out calories ketones uh if you're on a very high state you know clinical kid it could be about 100 calories so that's like almost wasting calories so maybe atkins was right you are kind of ways to get lose it but I think it's negligible. I don't think it's very significant. But you also, one way, a counter-regulatory mechanism that our body has and uh, very tightly controlled is that as ketones get elevated, it starts to stimulate a pulse of insulin, a small amount of insulin that reduces beta-oxidation of fats in the in the in the liver, and that will decrease ketone production. Also, uh, glucagon goes up a little bit, so you start uh, kicking on gluconeogenesis a little bit more. Mm -hmm. If you take, for me personally, and I think I've communicated with a couple people that I said, do this, measure your insulin, do that. So if my ketones are acutely and rapidly elevated above two millimolar, then my Insulin level is noticeably higher, so I do get an elevation. But two millimolar, is you can only really achieve that with uh, a ketone ester, a large dose of 1,3-butanediol uh, of or keto IQ, uh, but you're kind of limited with ketone salts. So I'm, I'm taking a ketone salt product, Keto Start, and even if I take two packets, two packets gets me to two millimolar essentially. So that's like, but you're limited by GI tolerability and the mineral load too, right? So but one thing with a ketogenic diet is that you tend to eliminate a lot of sodium and electrolytes too, so that supplemental could be good to, to an extent, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I think the general view is that more is not better when it comes to ketones. You're getting real world benefits with one millimolar uh, to two millimolar. I think it going above two for a normal physiology could start to put, uh, could start to kick on counter-regulatory, hormonal effects that could be unwarranted, but this could potentially be helpful for someone with type 2 diabetes. So maybe a larger dose would help them, maybe a larger dose would help someone with a disease pathology, but for like biohackers out there, Taking a ketone ester that shoots you up to three, four, five millimolar and doing that every day—I like—I have access to these things. I would not do that. I did that and I didn't feel well. <laughs> so, uh, so what I plan to do is just uh, what I've been doing is just you know spiking, adding additional ketones to uh, my physiology to enhance my brain activity to improve metabolic biomarkers. Uh, and I do that about twice a day, and I've incorporated some more carbohydrates into my diet. So instead of 25 grams of carbs a day, I'm hitting about 50 to 100 grams a day. You know, I'm getting more fiber, more more plants, more a diversity of plants and vegetables, especially this time of year. Uh, it's a little bit seasonal. Probably less in the in the winter. But some days I'm completely carnivore. So some days I'll just have steak and eggs or fish, and but. When we talk about the carnivore diet, it's not something that I would do day in and day out. Like some days, I just don't want to eat vegetables, or maybe I just avoid a salad, so I'll just have meat and eggs, and I love that and I feel great doing that. But I wouldn't. I don't think there's benefits to doing that every day. So maybe we can get into the carnivore diet yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, I get a lot of questions about this, and I think it's a great diet. Uh, but hold I on, think before it's, jumping into it, I want to yeah. I want to talk a little bit about. Um, Context and nuance. I think.
1: Well, yeah, well just sure. going back into like the ranges before yeah. moving to the carnivore diet. Um, I, I I think is so. I think I, I I generally agree that being super high ketones chronically is not necessarily evolutionarily consistent because um, it's when you're eating a ketogenic diet, right? Like I think people that are long-term keto aren't that high on ketones. Measurable ketones because their body is so homeostatically efficient that they're just producing enough ketones through ketogenesis mm-hmm. to fuel their brain and their body. Yeah. So you're just like very, very dialed in. So I think I'm generally in line with you. If I'm just like at the office, I just want to feel kind of sharp at work. I don't need like a giant spike, a giant bolus of ketones through like a ketone ester or, or whatnot. Um, however, um, is there a use case for like? Herbogenic, like, hey, I'm trying to win a race, maybe spike me up. I think there's been like, and this is like just super neat, super high end, right? Like if you're really getting super high ketones, I think one thing in literature that, and, and just in practice that we've seen is that you really reduce blood pH, you really increase blood acidity, especially with uh, ketone monoesters, yeah. which is potentially not, which potentially like decrements the any potential added benefit of having such high ketones, um, I think a Belgian group showed that potentially stacking sodium bicarbonate attenuates that decrement, so you kind of like have a boost and a negative and then you boost it again where you maybe get some performance benefit, but sodium bicarbonate is very really hard to dose. Um, or electrolytes, so ketones bound to electrolytes, sodium, potassium, yeah. calcium, magnesium,
2: that's one way, but it's also a dose thing, right? I mean, we saw in our animal models, pH starts to go down. Uh, animals start to get sick once you get above 5 millimolar. Yeah. That's kind of like the threshold for mice and rats. And that's kind of scary when you see that. But I, but I think, you know, to your point, I think the, the drop in pH or the increase in acidity is real um but maybe like with exercise it's almost training your body to upregulate the buffer system
1: right right but do you want that in your like championship race more and when you're win the
2: olympics yeah you wanna you want to buffer it so a ketone salt is buffered but then you have to deal with the mineral mineral load the electrolyte load but the electrolytes could be favorable in the context of replenishing and restoring up to a certain point but i think ideally we want a dual-fuel system. We want ketones, maybe some MCTs, glucose, uh, alpha l lactates. lactates, a supplement I took when I was mountain biking, Cytomax, I don't know if it's still available, but but I think a, a dual-fuel system seems to be the ideal approach, with ketones being probably the most novel, innovative macronutrient, if you want to call it the fourth macronutrient. Alcohol was the fourth macronutrient. Well, three butane could be alcohol. So <laughs> a bit hydroxybutyrate is a fifth macronutrient so but i think that the the point is that uh ketones exogenous ketones are another level of innovation and they are something that can further that should be part of a fueling system
1: I oh feel like God. one of our podcasts was like one of the earliest Google searches for me and me the Fourth Matter Nutrition. I was yeah, like I know, looking at yeah, who that. who coined it, and like, <laughs> we're like, and it's like I think it's like one of our early conversations. Literally, is one of the first internet yeah. results yeah. of that, yeah. which is like pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anything else you want to cover on, uh, on 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 dosing? I mean, I think basically, like, I think the practical takeaway is that. Like one, more is not necessarily better. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like if you're having Gatorade or a sugar drink, you're not trying to just chug like 15 bottles of Coke right before your your marathon, same thing with ketones. I think you gotta be really smart about dialing it in. Um, I think probably some of the innovation in this space will be around formulations, how some of these different ketone precursors and molecules can provide a personalized pk curve for your specific use case yeah. i think that's going to be an innovation area um right like when you're uh doing deep sea rebreather diving versus going to space mm-hmm. versus trying to do tour de france versus body yeah. uh mm-hmm. bodybuilding you are likely going to want different pk curves so that might be different formulations of variants of different key molecules and um, probably
2: consuming these things in the context of the activity that you are trying to augment right so if you train 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 and then the event comes and then you take a bunch of this stuff without taking it and expect a result but if you train up to it and get your body used to the fuel and then you learn how to tweak it and adjust it and but probably more importantly, and we talked about this, is the adaptation to that training stimulus. And I think that's where ketones can help improve metabolic biomarkers, glycemic control, maybe some evidence for enhancing insulin sensitivity, which would help with glucose disposal, getting it into tissues to help the energetic processes associated with tissue repair. Muscle protein synthesis and it is an energy dependent process, and you could further augment that by increasing the bioenergetic capacity of the muscle because uh, you actually like with muscle protein synthesis, it activates amp kinase. So, it almost in the skeletal muscle, it's actually signaling an energetic deficit because it's a costly event to me So, I think being able to supply ketones and maybe augmenting glucose uptake. I know Dr. Beach talked about, you know. My, my first questions to him was like, "Oh, glucose is going down," and I was like, "It must be releasing insulin." It's like, "No, it's enhancing insulin sensitivity," and I think it's kind of a combination of yeah. both. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but if you're increasing insulin, insulin will also increase PDH. Activity, and you know, so insulin may not be a bad thing if you're in, you know, spiking insulin a little bit with ketone. but uh, but it's all it's all very context dependent. But you don't want to be sitting at your desk spiking insulin with like five millimolar ketone. <laughs> right. So I've done that before, and, and I just don't. It took me a while to doing it to convince myself that this was probably not ideal
1: because uh, I was like, like back, Maybe you know, with carbohydrate and protein and yeah. leucine. maybe that that instance like is likely going to help you recover better yeah like uptake and glycogen and
2: and, and i want to be clear this is no substitute for nutrition so (laughs) this is like the supplements or like the little the icing on the cake so to speak so whole food nutrition should be that should be a central focus and optimized but once you get that dialed in the ketones and the supplements we're talking about you know really will make a difference you know and and it's that difference I think uh, that we need to study more and do more research so we can always talk about the the, and the jury and if you go search this stuff the jury behind ketones augmenting exercise performance is still out mm-hmm. but most of those studies have been done delivering an acute dose which is not always tolerable and then kind of the investigators are expecting a result so we, what we have discussed here a little bit, and prior to this was using ketones as a training aid. So consuming them over time. And I think that's where
1: you probably get the most benefit. Yeah, I feel like we could just have a master session just really going into every yeah. single variant and just our speculations. I think we probably have just our hypotheses yeah. of how this mm-hmm. stuff actually figures out. So if you guys want that, we'll have to like, yeah. do an own <laughs> session, just dive into like, how we would use, or this ergenically, and what are the variants of the formulations? And and the list only goes on. Like the list
0: has been expanded in the past few years so much in different use cases. And what I've been telling people in my recent podcast is that I have sort of you know yes ketone provides energy, it provides you know ATP. But most importantly nowadays with the data that we have so far, we are seeing that you know ketones, as you said, it aids the adaptation process to whatever stimulus that um, the, you're putting your body through because we have C-ketone does the complete opposite things. It turns on m two activation after exercise and giving carbs and protein, but then in aging, ketones turns down mTOR. Mm-hmm. Same thing with inflammation. Generally, it turns down inflammation, but when a bacteria toxin is introduced in vitro, it turns up inflammation because it that's the natural adaptation process to the infection, and with the presence of ketones, it increases that, that adaptation process, it aids that
1: adaptation process. Yeah, so I want to talk about diet now. You, you're talking about a, a well formulated diet, and let's talk about the carnivore diet, and then let's talk about uh cognition and future research areas. I like you're teasing up like ketones as a potentiator for so many different uh use mm-hmm. cases. Um, now going to diet, it feels like every other year, there's like a new carnivore celebrity, right? Like I don't know if you guys have seen Liver King like recently, but he's this like...
2: Interesting fellow, yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, just... And you I think... You can't deny the physique, you can't deny the energy, you can't deny articulate and uh, pretty cool. I would like to meet Leverking. Yeah, so yeah. if yeah. Leverking wants to come visit, or I'd like to go to the Liver King Ranch too. Right.
1: So, I, yeah, no, I think I feel like I've met a lot of these folks. I think there was Sean Baker, yeah, Paul I Saladino. I think yeah. all, 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 all reasonable guys, all reasonable so. in, in, in like just actually well, research, like they actually I mean, know what they're
2: talking about. They talk a lot of people too, because yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've got people email me that said they did the carnivore, today I did the carnivore diet. I've only had, I've had two thirds of a pound of beef today. That's all I've had right. today. So today I'm doing the carnivore diet. <laughs> so it's just a situational thing. I just didn't have time to eat anything else. Yeah. So And I feel great. Yeah, so I mean, just,
1: yeah. What do you, what do you make of it and then, I think you're teasing a little bit about like the optimal diet and your perspective is kind of a low carb Mediterranean, potentially with ketone enhanced or, or ketone supplements as part of that diet as like a macronutrient. Um, I guess like to me, I feel like to me, like it's essentially like a elimination diet with high protein, high fat. And I've done blocks of carnivore eight, 12 weeks at a time. I felt like it would, I felt great on it. It was interesting to not have to poop a lot. (laughs) I just realized that, like, because people are asking, Are you constipated? It's like, well, actually, Uh most of your poop is like fiber. So, you're not eating fiber. Like, meat actually absorbs quite cleanly in your small and large intestine. So, like, you just don't produce a lot of poop. So, it was actually like, I feel actually quite clean. um, The only reason I stopped was it was literally boring. It's like, it's boring to eat steak and eggs all the time and, like, maybe some seafood. I love, um, my favorite foods are
2: eggs and steaks, <laughs> and I'm like a perfect person, for but I, I miss a big salad, I miss vegetables, I miss I miss some fruit too, um, so I love berries, I love, you know, we have fruit trees in the yard and I'll grab something, so it's, uh, these are things I miss and I, and I think you are, I think it's suboptimal, I think a carnivore diet is an elimination diet and a lot of the benefits of the carnivore diet are due to you're just simply uh, restricting calories or mm-hmm. limiting excess calories, and in that context, you're getting a lot of the benefits of calorie restriction. Mm-hmm. I think there's no doubt. There, you're definitely going to be in
1: ketosis, likely. Yeah, you're definitely yeah. likely calorie restrictor, at least yeah. like not overly eating because it's so satiating to eat so much yeah. protein and fat.
2: And you know, and that's why with uh, a ketogenic diet too, that's formulated, is a bit, it's hypopalatable I would say <laughs> and hyper satiating. so it's not hyper palatable to where you just want to uh, eat excess calories so it's kind of hypopalatable you just get sick of it after a while and then the protein and the fat definitely have a, a satiating effect and an appetite suppressing effect so you're just less less far less likely to overeat and get surplus calories so a lot of the benefits are simply by calorie control, calorie right.
0: modulation. What do you guys think about um, micronutrients and vitamins and, and minerals that people argue? Um, you know, you can get, you have to get from like fruits and vegetables and all that from a carnivore diet. Because you know. There's always going to be those people asking, so I'm sure the listeners would love to hear your thoughts on that. I
2: mean, if you just add a little bit of organ meat, I mean, uh, my wife introduced me to hearts and liver, and I enjoy it. And I swear, <laughs> the, the day after we eat liver, maybe every week or two, the day after, I always have more energy. You know, I, and this is not placebo, especially a couple of days after eating like some chicken or just. You know not getting a real diet diversity and then she cooks liver and it's like man i feel like i'm on some kind of nootropic or something the next day so i don't know i need to check my nutritional status but i think uh, a well-balanced ketogenic diet you know whatever that is it's just basically a diversity of you know fish and beef and organ meats and then some you know really green leafy vegetables too i think you can put in there and you're getting magnesium you're getting uh, a lot of phytonutrients Mm -hmm. That you are not getting on a strict carnivore diet. So, um, and I don't know with a carnivore diet. Uh, I, I don't see the argument against eating like wild berries. Like you know, when we were in nature, we had access mm-hmm. to these things. You just go in the woods, and in many areas of the world, I mean, these things are available, right. and people were eating these things. So, uh, I I think the 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 fecal uh, fossils that we find very, very clearly indicate that early humans were eating upwards of one to sometimes 200 grams of fiber a day. So I think it would be a hard argument to say that we were not, that we we're extra carnivores, right? You're not eating yep. plants.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think to me, like, at least... Geographically, it,
2: it varies tremendously geographically.
1: But. I guess, like, if, if we're going to going on a spectrum of, like, mm-hmm. weird diets, at least, like, there's no cultures that have been completely plant-based, right? Like, I think there's been... Yeah. Like, I mean, if you have, like, I mean, liver I mean, kings and like people, like, you know, extreme carnivore, but, like, there's been, like, more... There's also plant-based, in whatever, celebrities that are saying, like, oh, yeah. humans were evolved as herbivores and... I think that's basically factually untrue. Yeah. So I think it's like at least from like we're gonna balance that. Like yeah, I, I think to to Latt's point, I think we generally agree that for carnivore, you're gonna be I think micronutriently complete if you're eating offal and organ meats. Yeah, and I think the question of debate is like are phytonutrients necessary or optimal? I think i'm like very open to that like i it, it seems it's like not, not I, necessary fiber is not necessary
2: yeah. um, and like i said some days i feel better just eating meat and meat and eggs and i feel great and sometimes i'll go back to eating plants and fiber and it's like oh, i don't feel too good you know maybe it's just too much fiber so i think i almost like add it as a garnish kind of thing yeah. you know even if i if i there are points in time where i just I feel my body doesn't tolerate the fiber as well and I'm convinced that there are people who just cannot tolerate plants and fiber and things because they, yeah I've yeah, communicated with them enough to know yeah. that they just, they, they've convinced me that the carnivore diet is for them. Mm-hmm. And
3: That's the biggest thing it is so yeah. individual everyone yeah. is very unique Metabolically, and, and people respond to diets completely differently. So and females
2: too. So speak yeah. <laughs> to female physiology. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think females yeah. do, I have do have a hard harder time with keto. Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. And um, I do. Yeah. I agree. And I think it depends on you know uh, menstrual cycle, and then also like pregnancy and breastfeeding periods too. I like that, I mean, yeah, yeah. that was cool. a yeah. Very everything was different <laughs> during mm-hmm. both those periods for me, and and just what you know I I thrived on in, in those periods and what I could tolerate so and I think so I think just you know listening to yourself like look taking your own you know doing these labs looking at how your body responds because there's going to be people that do well in all of these different type of, types yeah. of times
1: yeah I think I think that's something we can all agree on like trust your intuition right mm-hmm. like you are you understand your own body the best yeah. and have tools that can uh measure various animal yeah. levels and valid understand the metabolism and the physiology and nutrition so you can yeah. build what work, your work works for you i want to recycle it.
2: yeah zrt labs they sell a cardio metabolic kit that you can do at home you prick your finger and put blood on a blood spot card they've been great we use them in our research uh, yeah continuous glucose monitors Abbott, dexcom the app levels health and also genova diagnostics has some incredible tests and tools, so these are all companies that, you know, people can, can use their resources, And I think. it uh, Doesn't have to be super expensive, yeah. um, you know, and I, and I think this has to be done, or you could just do this just once a year for a baseline and usually insurance companies cover, you know, and you can usually talk your doctor into doing like HSCRP or adding insulin or something like that. And, um, if not, yeah, get a new doctor, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, routine blood work. I mean, I like to do it a couple times times a year, more more than that. Uh, but at the very least, once a year, mm-hmm. and two or two to four times a year would be optimal, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, well, especially if you're trying all these mm-hmm. changes, like yeah. yeah things, but but, uh, I want to be thoughtful on times. I know that um, we just, we could go on for like, another two hours here. So I'm gonna ask the last question, which you know. Future research areas. I know that cognition psychiatry. What are potential metabolic underpinnings of both the therapeutic side as well as the enhancement side or extreme environment side? What are you currently most excited about, um, especially as like a research area and an exploration area, and maybe like throwing like a curveball at the end? I know there's like a lot of at least anecdotal exploration stacking psychedelics psilocybin plant medicine ayahuasca potentially with ketones as like a super biohacker extra credit like experiment Curious to hear all of that as I like, uh, go. A lot of questions. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to keep so it last, sure question the, last question is the most complicated and the most exciting. Yeah,
2: I'll, I'll keep it short and then I'll let Angela talk. So uh, the three things that kill people are cardiovascular disease, uh, Alzheimer's dementia. Group them together and cancer. Right. So I think there is tremendous. Uh, potential for using metabolic-based therapies, which include dietary therapies included in that in that umbrella would be exogenous ketones. Uh, but I think at the, the dietary therapies, metabolic based therapies for the, the things the three things that are going to kill us, cardiovascular disease, uh, cancer, and Alzheimer's dementia. So I think there's tremendous I think we need to focus on developing metabolic interventions for these things and optimizing them in a personal way. And then personally, I'm super interested in undersea medicine, enhancing the safety and performance and resilience uh, underwater, and also in space. So (laughs) space is a very challenging environment that takes uh, a big hit to the mitochondria. And so optimizing, preserving metabolic health and mitochondrial function in space, I think is going to be super important uh, for, uh, a mission to ma- to the lunar surface, to Mars, and to deep space, intergalactic. <laughs> it's like <laughs> interstellar, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think, I mean, that's kind of what's I'll on my in mind, mind. But maybe I'll let Angela talk about some of the epigenetic projects. Nick yeah, that's lab, yeah, so, exactly yeah. what I was gonna
3: say. I'm super interested in in understanding why this these things work, and in particular, the role of the ketones, not necessarily the metabolic face of them, which I think is pretty well established but the signaling side of ketones, which is newer and, and incredibly interesting and is applicable to kind of all of these different conditions that we've we've been talking about. And uh, we have some pretty cool projects in the lab um, right now and, and up and coming that are fo- trying to focus on that. And in particular, looking at the signaling roles in terms of epigenetic regulation, um, so how uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate influences gene expression um, and looking at differences between um, the R versus S, BHB. and we have a great PhD student in the lab Sarah Moss who is extremely passionate about all things genetic and epigenetic and uh, she's doing a pretty awesome project starting to look at that in some of these diseases so I, I, uh, I love the mechanism you know side of, of this stuff I want to know why this stuff is working it's fascinating
1: no one wants to touch psychedelics and key
2: points. Oh, it's well, <laughs> on. So, metabolic psychiatry, that's going to be, I didn't add it to the that list, but I think maybe the fourth thing cardiovascular disease, cancer, you know, and, um, you know, I would like to add metabolic psychiatry to that because mental health is a huge problem. Uh, depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, you know, these things are obsessive-compulsive disorder, there is a place for metabolic-based therapies, dietary and supplemental, in treating these diseases. Mm-hmm. So that's important. Also, medicinal mushrooms, so uh, food. food, literally as medicine, so mushrooms, so a uh, first person, I think they are an up-and-coming mushroom-based company that develops uh, a lot of very unique formulations uh, with a broad, wide variety of different types of mushrooms and different formulations. And I use their products, uh, disclose that I consult for them and I think they're doing some great things advancing uh, this idea of using mushroom-based compounds for improving brain health. Uh, they have a very incredible personal story. Uh, check them out, getfirstperson.com. Uh, we connected with them. They were a sponsor of the mm-hmm. Metabolic Health Summit. and uh, And I think there's a big future in medicinal mushrooms, and that could be the psychedelic mushrooms. Uh, I believe that these things could largely replace, in some situations, uh, SSRIs and other. I've been in correspondence with a number of people who are using them under guidance. Uh, a few of them using them outside of guidance, but still doing very very well, uh, where they basically replaced drugs uh, under guidance and. Uh, to improve and enhance their uh, mental health and well-being. Okay. So, yeah. Can I can yeah. I ask a sneaky question? Sure. Also mm-hmm. regarding
0: regarding the mushrooms. So so do you think there is, given you know, just mushrooms or like psychedelics like or whatnot, it increases brain energy demand. Given that yeah. ketones increase you know energy uh, supply, do you think there is a, a place for a synergistic effect between those two?
2: I, yeah, I mean, one of the products that I've used for a while is brains which is, you know, lion's mane, uh, MCT, the uh, and it's got a great combination, uh, but cordyceps, reishi, lion's mane, uh, There's these mushrooms have been around for a long time, and they have good science behind them, and they're like considered adaptogens mm-hmm. too, so they help your body cope with stress in different ways. So I, I think there's, uh, there's, that's a very innovative market right now, and I think it's it's expanding very rapidly. And a lot of people, similar to ketogenic diets or ketone supplements, are rushing. Entrepreneurs are rushing to get into the space because there's a lot of potential. Yeah, and I do think there's synergy. Yeah, and especially in the context of brain health, mm-hmm. uh, definitely a lot. And yeah, maybe we leave
1: it for readers or listeners like homework in terms of yeah. you know, reaching out if you guys are experimenting. You know, some of these things are again scheduled likely not legal in many jurisdictions potentially so uh not advocating or not advocating but i think as a scientist who maybe cares less about arbitrary regulations on on on, on naturally occurring mushrooms love at least like explore and learn more how this all works absolutely yeah
2: so we are excited to maybe do research more research in this area and expand the application and different formulations. Like I said, uh, lots of potential for innovation, not only in ketogenic diet formulations, but also in ketone supplements and, and in mushrooms too. So uh, I'm excited for the future of this.
1: Awesome, well, let's wrap this. Really great to re-kick off the h H&M podcast with Dom and Angela. Thanks so much, It's <laughs> an awesome conversation. Thank you. We gotta do this you. more often than every two, three years, because I think every like six months, 12 months, there's so much fun in this space. You guys are just at the forefront. We're, we're, we're educating, we're building. So let's learn, build together, and help build this community out. Because I think what we're all exploring is not just, I think, academically, scientifically interesting, but potentially could be so helpful for our civilization, for all populations. So yeah, well, thank you. Good work.
2: thank you for providing this platform and getting, like we said, I mean, you could do all the science, but providing the platform for you guys who are not only educated, but creating a platform to disseminate the information is equally or more important. So thank you for doing that and having us on. Appreciate
1: that. Thank, you. Right. thank you.
0: I hope you have enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. And if you did, please like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on all social media at HVMN and myself at Lat Manso. And on top of that, I will put all the handles for Dr. Dom D'Agostino and Dr. Angela Poff in the description below. And if you have any feedback or suggestion, feel free to leave comments, write to us at podcast at or just contact us on any of these social media platforms. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.